This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 392. And you're listening to The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some of the little tricks. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, Daniel Glass here. I want to welcome you back to another episode of The Daniel Glass Show right here on Drummer's Resource. And uh, I just got back yesterday from Budapest, Hungary. I did uh, a pretty incredible uh, concert over there. I was a guest of a, uh, of a, well, it's it's a guy whose name is Shandor Corman, who I met last year. I was over there doing a gig with a band called the Hot Sardines, and I met Shandor. Um, I found out about this guy, and and he is perhaps the biggest vintage drum collector uh, in Europe, at least that I'm aware of. He lives in a town outside of Budapest, and he has he's collected so much stuff that he actually created a museum. Um, he's a very industrious fellow. And um, he uh, hosts a drum gala every year, and this year was his 23rd annual drum gala. So uh, I was the special guest, and each year it's a different uh, drum that drummer that's featured with a variety of different in different kinds of situations. So um, uh, Peter Erskine's been uh, the featured guest before, Benny Greb, Jojo Mayer, uh, Omar Hakim. And I'm really honored that I was uh, added to this kind of elite company of, of guys. And so um, being that I'm a jazz swing big band guy, uh, he teamed me up with uh, the Budapest Jazz Orchestra, which is, uh, I would say, one of the heaviest, if not the heaviest, big band in the country of Hungary. And we put on a concert. And in preparing for this concert, uh, and I'm getting to the topic of, of my uh, podcast today, my, of my show, but in preparing for this concert, I was kind of taken back to earlier years. I, I've talked in, in other podcasts about, you know, I live in New York City, and it's, it's an intense life. It's, it's a hard life, and you've got to be up to the challenge. You've got to face it head on. Um, and as I was, you know, getting ready for this gig, I was again sort of going through the same process I went through when I was preparing to play with the Brian Setzer Orchestra, meaning I was going to my practice space at five and six o'clock in the morning for some kind of long marathon practice sessions, really getting down and dirty with the material. Uh, A bunch of the tunes on this concert were Buddy Rich charts, which as you can imagine, are some of the hardest kind of music that you can play. And so I sort of get into this zone, this kind of hardcore zone, where, you know, I feel like I'm an urban ninja, and I sort of feel like I've got to strip things away. If I'm going to get the job done, if I'm going to, um, you know, really go in there and kill it, then I've got to kind of live this, you know, ninja, monastic, almost kind of lifestyle. And it got me to thinking, you know, what was I going to talk about on the podcast today? And I think... um, you know, I'm, it's sort of one of those five, uh, you know, five, five things to, 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 to get your, your playing together or five, five, uh, you know, uh, whatever, a list of five, a list, a list show and which, which are always fun and you can kind of take things and organize them in a certain way. And, and the more that I thought about it, the more that I thought, you know, we as musicians 
if we truly want to live life as a musician, if we want to make a living as a musician, or if we want to, um, you know, we must we must embrace the fact that we live unusual lives. And of course, you know, on the surface, yes, we live unusual lives. We don't do things the way everybody else does. Our schedule is different than other people. Often, uh, we're you know, we travel, uh, we go away for long periods of time, or we're we're uh, doing our work at different hours of the day. Uh, we, being that it's an artistic pursuit and a highly competitive one, uh, we have to um, put in a tremendous amount of time. Being that it's our passion, uh, we want to put in this time. Um, but it's, it's, um, a, you know, I think a lot of times we, we say we want to do these things. We say we want to, we want to get out there and that this is our passion and this is what we want our career to be. But we ourselves are not willing to embrace or accept the unusual aspect of our lives. In other words, we want an, an escape route. We want some way around it. Um, so I guess what I'm going to talk about today, maybe the way to put this is five unusual, uh, five unusual ways to accept our unusual lives as musicians. Okay, if that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, some of these things might seem odd, or they might seem extreme, or they might seem dramatic, um, but. And again, I'm talking from my experience and also of those around me. Some of them may seem practical to you. Um, but there, there's just sort of five elements. Uh, some of them have to do with playing. Some of them have to do with uh, making money. Some of them have to do with who we surround ourselves with or how we get support. Um, and it's about changing our perspective so that we can live in this usual world where people do usual things, which, by the way, most of them hate. You know, most people go from, you know, a family situation or a, a you know, home situation that maybe they're unhappy with to a job that they hate, and they sit in a commute that they hate, and they just can't wait until the weekend comes, you know, uh, so they can have two days where they don't hate their lives. And, you know, I'm being, I, of course, I'm making enormous generalizations here, but um, the, the, the point to me is that if we want to do what we love, if we want every day of our life to be a, a satisfying day where we can look back at that day and go, yes, I am on my path, I am following my passion in life, then we have to make some hard choices. Um, and so, you know, or some unusual choices, I guess, to, to live our unusual lives. So again, there probably are many, many more points that I'm going to leave out here. This is not intended to be comprehensive, but on the other hand, um, these are sort of five, five elements, I guess you could say, that, um, that I, 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 I have experienced or other peers, friends have experienced uh, things that I think um, are valuable just in, in thinking about how we go about our daily our daily uh, way we interface with the world or our daily pursuit of our dream, as it were. And, you know, even though I make my living as a musician, I'm still dreaming. Uh, I still have plans and dreams and goals. I still have enormous projects that I want to undertake that are sort of challenging me, looking me in the face and laughing and going, you're not, you're never going to do this. You're way, way, way too much of a chicken to, to attempt this or accomplish this in your life. And you're never going to do this, you know, and that if I don't do these things before I leave this planet, I am going to feel like I didn't really 
go for it or I didn't really work to fulfill my true potential as a human being. And maybe I'll talk about some of those uh, as we go. But, you know, certainly, so, you know, you might, you might look at someone like me who has uh, achieved to a certain degree of success as a working musician that I've achieved in my goals to write books and to do educational things. But what I'm saying is that the dreaming never stops and the hustle never stops. And um, the challenge of, you know, what is the story of my unusual life? Am I, am I, am I really moving towards that? I mean, to me, that is the story of the artist. And it's a, it's a hard one because a lot of people just, you know, they may hate their life, but at the end of the day, they're not willing to give up the comforts of life that they have. They're not willing to, they want that certain amount of time every night to kick it in front of the TV and have two weeks vacation and, you know, these sorts of things. And and that's fine. But for those of us who are dare to say, hey, I'm going to step out, I'm going to live an unusual life, I'm going to follow that dream, then, well, hey, what are you prepared to do to get there? You know, because there's a lot of other people that are trying to get there as well. And I know we, we talk about this a lot in the drumming community, but um, anyway, this is sort of my take. So, number one, play music every day. Now, obviously, this, this seems obvious, but, um, I, you know, a lot of times, particularly at the beginning of our career, where we don't really know what's going on or, or you know, we don't have a clear-cut idea of what our path is going to be or we don't have a regular band or, you know, these sorts of things, um, we don't play all the time if we don't have a reason to play. Yeah, maybe we practice. A lot of times, you know, we've talked about, uh, just had a conversation recently with, with a colleague who's like, yeah, I'm trying to get back to, you know, more practicing, but I don't know what to practice. And, you know, it's like, don't think about it as practicing. Play music. And I would even take one step farther and say, play music with other people every day. And this, this point comes from something that, you know, when I got out of music school in 1991, at the end of 1991, I didn't really have all that much going on. I was a greenhorn in LA. I was trying to figure out what I was doing. Um, I didn't have that many gigs. I certainly didn't have that many paying gigs. Um, and I didn't have that many great connections, but I was just trying to do whatever I could. And I think that, you know, doing whatever you can, I mean, you hear that. But one of the things I did was I moved into a, a, a house uh, out in the San Fernando Valley that had a converted garage. That was important to me. I had two other roommates. And at that time, there were a lot of houses in the San Fernando Valley that either had, you know, soundproofed garages. There were so many musicians uh, living there at the time. And um, I just remember that it, this wasn't even a conscious decision per se, per se. But if I did not have a gig uh, that day, and, you know, a lot of the gigs I was doing were coffee house gigs or restaurant gigs where I wasn't making any money or it was for tips or whatever, um, then I would, ha- I, would, I would host a jam session at this, uh, in, in this converted garage that I had. And, you know, it, at the time it was sort of, uh, it didn't really um, click that this was, you know, something that I should be doing or something that was important. But in looking back on it, I realized that it was very important. I played with all kinds of people 
uh, people that I had gone to music school with. Of course, when you get out of music school, the majority of your contacts are those that you've gone to school with. So I had a lot of the folks from school come over. Uh, I did have a couple of band projects, and we would rehearse at my in my converted garage. That became the the go-to place. And I just sort of, you know, hey, I got a place. And, and I think I had a PA set up in there. And so I would just, I would host um, anybody and everybody. And I met friends of friends. And I, I ended up, uh, I, I went to school with a guy, a Brazilian guy named Joao, and, uh, which is like, I guess, uh, uh, Portuguese for George. And one day he brought this guy over. Um, I don't even know if I can still pronounce his name correctly. Renato Neto. Uh, and this guy was a CalArts student. He wasn't, hadn't gone to the school that I'd gone to. And he was incredible. So sometimes you play with people that aren't that good. Sometimes you play with people at the same level. Sometimes you play with people that are way better than you. Turns out, <laughs> a few years later, this guy, uh, another Brazilian, you know, that my friend Joao had brought in this, this guy, Renato, uh, he, he joined Prince's band, played with Prince for a lot of years. So you never know who was going to cycle through that, that rehearsal area. But, you know, even today, that practice sort of continues with me, even if I don't have a lot of opportunity to practice these days, or I have to, um, what my practice time is committed towards, you know, preparing for projects like this, this uh, Budapest Jazz Orchestra thing that I just came back from. Um, you know, if I, I book a lot of gigs, that's sort of the answer. And, and you'd say, well, of course, you know, you want to book a lot of gigs, but I, I pretty much don't really say no practically to anything, even if maybe the money isn't exactly what I want, although generally these days I do pretty well in that department. But the the idea is to play with other people all the damn time. And okay, maybe you don't live in a big city like New York or Los Angeles, and, and you don't have a lot of people to play with. Well, I don't know, that's sort of a... That sounds like an excuse, you know, well, or there's not a this scene happening around where I am, or this or that or the other, you know. And again, number one, maybe you need to go to a place where there are more people to play with, or seek out the people around you. You know, you have to be proactive, you have to be resourceful, and you can't sit back and wait for something to happen to you. At least that's never been my philosophy. I, I am about making it happen, and if something is not happening in my life, then I need to make it happen. Um, and so it's just this sort of continuous uh, cycle that I've been in for the past now, you know, 20, 28 years, I guess you could say. So I guess what I mean by playing music every day is getting out there and just putting yourself in a musical situation. And again, practicing is certainly a part of that, but I am, I am a big, big proponent of We've got to play with other people. That's really where it's at because that's, you know, you, that's where you're going to gain the experience of putting everything you're doing in the practice room into play and developing your skills as a musician. And even if you've been or if you've been playing for many, many years, maintaining your skills as a musician. So, um, you know, and at the very, here's another aspect that I, that I, that I think is important is playing along to records. Uh, and I've probably talked about this before as well, but that is, you could say, an equivalent to playing with other people. So if you, there are no other people around, uh, don't just practice to a click, don't just practice exercises, play along with music uh, and really put yourself in the scenario of the band um, that, 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 is, that, is, you know, that you're playing along with. 
channel that drummer. Channel, if you're not a drummer and you're listening to this, channel whatever the instrument is that you play. But become, you know, make dig as deep as you can into that record. Of course, there isn't the spontaneous element of, of playing with other people, but, you know, get that part down so well that you seamlessly blend into the music. And that is, a, is another effective way, I think, of playing with other people. Um, that is an exercise in and to itself. So when you play along with music, don't just do it so you can learn a part or you can, you know, get better, like submerge, you know, immerse yourself into the music, become that drummer. All right, so that's kind of a musical sort of way that that we must embrace our unusual lives um, and dig in deep. Most people, you know, in, in life don't try to achieve very much, don't try to dig in deep. They do the minimum to get by. Uh, we cannot afford to do the minimum to get by. We must dig deep. And so, you know, when, when you've done it 50 times, do it 50 more times. And I've talked about this a lot. Um, it's not good enough to be good enough. You know, it's, it's about it pushing your boundaries. And, and it isn't so much like, you know, you know, it's more like, well, what would happen if I did this again? Be inquisitive about it. See what would happen. Um, whether you're practicing an exercise. What if you took one exercise today and just practiced that all day? What would happen? What if you just took one song this week and spent, uh, you know, a whole week on one song? And for the first day, you just worked on the main groove. And the second day, you worked on, you know, the fills of the intro. And the third day, you worked on what happened behind the solo. Um, you know, dig, 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 dig deep. That is what makes us successful, and it, that is what is unusual. So, so maybe that's part of playing every day is is digging. And I, I've talked about these things in other podcasts, but again, it's sort of reinforcing. So I'm going to move on because I I want to look at other aspects of what our life is like as musicians and how we might, um, you know, sort of look at these these different facets and how we can approach them. So the 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 second point I want to make about our unusual lives as musicians is, uh, you know, don't get comfortable. That's point number two. Don't get comfortable. And what do I mean by this? Well, if you're a young, up-and-coming musician, you know, you're unencumbered, you don't have, you're not married yet, you don't own a house, or you have very, you know, you're just getting started. Well, make your life as a struggling musician, as uncomfortable as possible. And, you know, that's sort of anathema to what I was saying earlier for what most people want. Most people will do whatever it takes so that they can be comfortable. I remember talking one night with Freddie Gruber, and we were talking about, you know, music and life and philosophy. He got really deep into that stuff. And and he's, you know, we were having this conversation about, I don't know, it wasn't even about music, it was about politics or about this or that or the other. And he said, you know what, Danny, he called me Danny, you know what, Danny, he said, most people, all they want is is to be able to have, is to is to be comfortable. I mean, he sort of made that point that people will do whatever it takes to, 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 to uh, you know, have their creature comforts, or to have their escape escapism fantasy uh, of you know escaping into the TV or or whatever, and you kind of can't do that if you're going to be a musician. You have to you have to be uncomfortable. And so, what do I mean by this? Well, number one, when I when I got out of music school, and again, this wasn't something that I did intentionally. Uh, it just sort of happened this way. But I took the worst 
possible day job I, I could possibly think of, um, which and it was kind of an interesting job. I was, I was, uh, I would drive into Hollywood. This is right after I got out of, out of school. I was, you know, I'd gone to school in, in, in the San Fernando Valley, but I got this job in Hollywood and it was, this was back before the days of cell phones. And, um, I, this, this job was, I think the company was called NRG, National Research Group or something like that. I don't know if they're still around, but what you would do is you would call people on the phone all over the country, you'd have to get people of different age groups, of different genders, and you would do these surveys about new movies that were going to come out. And you had to, I can't even remember really how I did this, but uh, you, you, um, you asked them, you know, this list of survey questions uh, based on new movies that were coming out to see if they had heard of the stars in the movie or if they had... Um, if they had, uh, you know, um, I can't even really remember. But I, you, you sat in phone banks, and there were supervisors listening in on you, and you were calling these lists and lists and lists of people in different cities because because they were different cities where the movies would come out in. You had to find somebody of that, you know, and it was always hard to find like a, a girl between the ages of. I don't know, 12 and 16, you know, that, that those were the hardest ones to find. It was easier to find, you know, uh, whatever, a man between the age of 30 and 35. I, you know, I, I don't know, I'm making this, I'm, I'm not being exact about how I'm remembering it. But it was a lot of pressure because they had to fulfill each day during that shift, all the people that were working, you had to uh, cover all these bases and complete these surveys. And, um, you know, so you would, doing a lot of calling, a lot of people hanging up on you, uh, asking these mundane questions. And, you know, it was, I mean, it wasn't bad. I'd, I'd done other jobs where I was trying to sell stuff over the phone. And that is really tough. I wasn't selling anything. And some people like the movies and some people like to take surveys, but it was, um, it sucked. Let's be blunt. It's not something you want to do with your time. And what you want to be doing is playing music. And, um, you know, when you're just doing it for the money, I did another day, another day job that was really horrible. Also, it was music related, but um, I I got some work uh, with this um, this this company. I can't remember what they were called. I've blotted these things out of my mind. But uh, I, um, I I would go out in the either go to shows and stand outside the show and hand out flyers for new artists. That were, you know, the, the record company would hire um, basically a street team. And you'd just go to, like, some concert, stand outside the concert and hand out these flyers or postcards for new and upcoming artists. And here I am wanting to be inside, be on the stage, and I'm standing outside, not only not playing, not even at the concert, I'm handing out flyers. And these were kind of L.A. type of crappy day jobs that you could get. Um, they weren't even really day jobs. They were just, you know, you get paid by the hour to do these, these various things. The other really interesting day job I had, uh, was, um, I don't know if you guys remember Michael Milken, the famous, uh, uh, investment banker, the junk bond king is what he was called in the 1980s. He had uh, defrauded the system and led to the collapse of the savings and loans with all these kind of junk bonds. This was a huge major financial scandal. And he was this, you know, sort of villainous uh, criminal that had 
kind of been the, the, the name, sort of a Bernie Madoff type character. He had lost a lot of people money and caused major economic upheaval. So, you know, he went to jail. Um, he had lived in Los Angeles and he went to jail up in Livermore, uh, which is in Northern California. They have a white collar prison up there. And so it was a club fed, I guess you could say. And while he was in jail, um, the his airplane hangar, he had a private airplane hangar with two jets uh, in it, Gulf Streams. And um, the wife of a guitar player in one of the projects I was in was the... Um, she was the office manager of Michael Milken's airplane hangar at the Van Nuys Airport. And I got a job cleaning the airplane hangar and being an odd job guy. And at the time, this paid $13.50 an hour, and it was the, the best job I'd ever had as far as an hourly wage. Um, so I jumped all over it. But again, I hated it. And it was the kind of, you know, basically all these jobs were jobs that I could walk away from at a moment's notice. And on the flip side... I remember some of the people that I went to music school with, when they got out of music school, they got full-time jobs that had benefits uh, and that, you know, uh, that, that uh, but they were working all day. And when they got done with their job, you know, they were tired and it had been a long day, so they just went home and took it easy. And most of those people, within a very short time, no longer were musicians. Uh, they were they worked at that job and they may hate that job and they may have still thought, well, this is my stepping stone job to, um, you know, uh, a career in music. But in reality, they were hiding out in that job, perhaps. They, they were living a usual life that was not in their face about the, you know, the wolf is at the door. So taking these terrible jobs and being this uncomfortable pushed me really hard to continue to, to chase my dream with, with, a, with a fury uh, and, and a vengeance in terms of hustling, practicing, and saying, I am not, this is so not what I want to be doing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to succeed. The last really kind of regular day job I had was working for this, in, I guess he was like a money manager. He worked in, in Century City in these office buildings where there was nothing but people who were money managers and working in these kind of offices. And this, this was the worst job ever. Uh, I had to get on the phone and call his clients, cold call. You know, he had lists of former clients, current clients that were thousands of names long and try to get them to get on the phone with him so he could sell them whatever the latest financial, you know, uh, thing was that he was selling. And I hate, I really hated that job because I hated, I did not like this guy. Uh, he was kind of a sleaze bag. I did not like the area. I did not like everybody that was around. I did not like, you know, wearing a tie to work. But it's funny because that job uh, was the was the job that I graduated out of when I joined Royal Crown Review. So, um, you know, at a few other points in my life, I I had to go back and do other kinds of work for money. But uh, it it was sort of befitting that the worst of all of those bad day jobs resulted in me finally being able to leave the world of day jobs. So point number two, don't get too comfortable. Don't make yourself too comfortable. Okay, point number three, lead a simple life. Lead a simple life. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, I guess a good way to, you know, again, is to, is to well, what is the usual life? And I'm, I, of course, am speaking about 
maybe people in Western countries or whatever. But, you know, the usual life is to, um, you know, sort of uh, buy the car, get the mortgage, uh, accumulate a lot of toys, accumulate a lot of debt, um, accumulate a lot of stuff. And leading a simple life is sort of the opposite from that. And I, I, am, I want to specifically relate to a, a really terrific post I saw on Facebook from Jim Riley. Of course, Jim Riley, very well-known drummer, very cool guy. We've hung a few times. He's a great guy and a very down-to-earth guy. And his post was a picture of him literally in front of his car in front of his house in Nashville. So he's standing in front of his car and in front of his house. And his car is not a new car by any stretch. It's actually kind of an old-looking car. And and he basically said, you know, I want to show you guys my car and my house because people think that, you know, if I'm in a big band like Rascal Flatts and, I'm, and I've been with this band for a long time, that somehow I'm living an extravagant rock star lifestyle. But, you know, here's what my life consists of. And he gives a whole breakdown of what he's done with his money, what he's put his money into, which is investing in, you know, uh, in his children's future, in his retirement. Um, and he's thinking ahead uh, about all those things. He's not um, spending it on expensive stuff. And and the post is quite elaborate, uh, but I, I remember just reading through it and going, yeah, man, you know, that is, that's exactly how I've tried to do things. You know, and it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, the, the, there is so much pressure around us to, to lead uh, uh, to accumulate a lot of stuff, to lead a, a very unsimple life. And of course, when other people get involved, you have a family or you have a spouse, uh, you know, th- th- those people's needs and the way they live their lives may not match up 100% with, with, with how you live your life. But for years and years and years, um, I, I followed this principle, uh, meaning that if I didn't need to spend money on it, I really didn't bother. And what I put my money into was was my career um, in terms of, you know, obviously into, into my education, into my studies. Uh, I studied with Freddie Gruber when I got out of music school. At the time, he was charging 60 bucks an hour for lessons, which in 1992 was very expensive, it was probably pretty close to the top of the market. And I made a point to do whatever I could to come up with that money, because when I was studying Freddie, I knew something here is is really valuable and I better take advantage of this while I while I can. In other words, I, I trusted my gut and I just said, I'm going to spend money on this. Of course, I spent money, spent a year going to music school. And uh, things I didn't do, I did not spend a lot of money. I did not put a lot of things on credit cards. I, I, I was very frugal. And that's what Jim Riley talks about. And he says, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, well, you're, you're just cheap. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a nice hostile insult. I guess, and being cheap and being frugal are two different things. Being cheap means, you know, you never pick up anybody else's tab or you won't go somewhere, you know, uh, you know, that, 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 that it's, 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 it's a, it's a non-generous way of being. And you could be generous, but you can also be smart. Uh, and, and that's a balance, of course, that is a, a topic probably for another podcast, but the, for me, um, you know, just really being careful uh, about how much, what, what did I really need in life? What did I really need and where, what were the, where, where was it most important to put my resources? I remember um, I did a gig for a while at a club called the Derby in LA. I played a lot 
there during the 90s and, and uh, the early 2000s. It was a great, it was a great club, Royal Crown Review. That was sort of ground zero for, for the uh, swing resurgence that happened. But I also did some gigs um, probably in the early 2000s with, with Eddie, our singer, and Mondo. And we sort of had this almost kind of doo-wop project. And uh, there was a, a quartet, uh, a, a really great African-American vocal quartet of guys that, that were, they would come and they were part of the show and it was really cool. And, uh, but I remember every week they showed up in this like pimped out SUV. All four of them came piling out of this super pimped out SUV. And it was like, that's really weird. Cause I don't think these guys have a lot of dough. Um, but they were driving around this pimped out SUV and, you know, I have a feeling that where they lived was not very pimped out. And I know a lot of people say, look, you know, you got to dress for success and you got to look like you're, you're happening. And I guess that's a different philosophy, but all I know is, you know, what's helped me to survive, um, is, is that, uh, is, is thinking about leading a simple life, right? Things like I never had cable for years and years and years. I mean, and today you don't really need, you know, these kind of things you can cut back. Um, I never really had a TV, uh, if I wanted to learn about something in the world, I just Googled it. I had a, I had a computer, um, you know, so, so those sort of those kinds of decisions anyway. So I think you get my basic point leading a simple life. Uh, again, it's not something that's for everyone and it requires to some degree, I guess you could say sacrifice, but I think if the ultimate goal is chasing that dream and we got to do what we got to do, you know, these are the, these are the uncomfortable places we have to look, the unusual places, um, and we have to make those uncomfortable and unusual decisions that other people choose not to make. And they obviously are content with a usual life of a usual job and whatever. And whether they like it or hate it, that's the decision that they are making. So, um, you know, those, I, I again, remember um, an interview with Russ Miller. And when he first moved to L.A., you know, Russ Miller, very, very well-known drummer, studio drummer, and has a huge uh, storied career. He, um, he lived in his car, you know, that, that kind of thing. How many people are really so driven to succeed that they are willing to live in their car? Now that was not me. I was not willing to live in a car, but, uh, you know, Tony Robbins famously at the beginning of his, when he, you know, when he was, when he first began putting who he was together, he was living in his car. He came from some really tough times. And I think it's that, that fear, um, you know, of, of going back there again, that, that drives people, you know, you put yourself in incredibly uncomfortable circumstances and that drives you to never, ever go back there again. So point number four, and this is one of my favorites. I really enjoy talking about this because I, I think it's something again, that maybe people don't, especially people trying to succeed as artists don't think about, which is surround yourself with supportive people. Now this may seem again, like an obvious point, but very often, especially when we're getting starting starting out, we don't we only go to the people that we know who perhaps have been supportive of us in the past. But when you want to do something as unusual as creating a uh, a life as an artist, doing something that is so uh, something that, that that your average person would never dream of doing, well, guess what? Even those who perhaps are supportive of you or were supportive of you are not going to be so supportive of you. Uh, people like your parents, people like your siblings, people like, you know, your boy or girlfriend at the time um, when, you know, when you begin these things. Many people, 
um, will choose a partner, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or they'll get married, a husband or wife, uh, who does not support them. And they do that knowingly. So when I say surround yourself with people who support you, you have to really be bluntly honest because not many people support us. You know, there are these, um, you know, most people, in fact, are going to do just the opposite. They're going to they're going to tear you down. And it's, uh, you know, the analogy is sort of like, you know, the scorpions in the bowl analogy. One scorpion tries to climb up the edge of the bowl and the rest of the scorpions pull them back down into the bowl. Um, and there's sort of a couple points I want to make about this. One is the concept of schadenfreude, which is a German, a German word, which is that we love, it's sort of the pleasure that we get in seeing people fail, right? So, you know, we've all experienced this and somebody says, you know, oh, I'm going to seek out to do this or, um, you know, you're watching a reality show or you're watching a sports team or a sports season and you want that person to fail or in politics or, you know, whatever it may be or obviously other other people in our lives. And we we are not succeeding. We are not happy with ourselves. And so we see somebody else succeed and we want them to fail. And it's a really kind of a messed up concept. But, you know, we all all experience it and it has to do with how much we love and believe in ourselves. Can we truly be happy for someone else's success? And I would have to say that a lot of people, the answer is no. And generally it's because they are not doing what they want to be doing in their lives. They are not, they may have dreams, but they're not following them. And so if they're not following them and they're not succeeding and they're not happy with what the choices they've made, then by God, they are not going to be happy with somebody else succeeding. And so, you know, I remember when I started out and, you know, a a lot of people, I remember I had a, I had a, a girlfriend in college, and although we, we didn't stay together after college, I was friends with her for, I'm still friends with her now, but I saw her, you know, we, we would get together for a number of years after that, and I knew her family, and her dad was one of these real jerks who was a, you know, he was a doctor, so uh, of course, um, you know, he was very arrogant in his outlook on my being a musician, and, you know, uh, he would say things like, oh, how's that little drumming thing coming along, you know, or whatever, you know, these kind of really arrogant comments. And what was so great was that the longer that, you know, I knew her and my career began to succeed and succeed and succeed, well, finally, he couldn't say, how's that little drumming thing coming along anymore? Because I was, you know, playing at the Hollywood Bowl next week, or I was on the road or, you know, whatever. I was succeeding. I was following my dream. And it was a very satisfying thing. I didn't even have to be a jerk to him, but it was very satisfying to sort of say, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And it's like, boom, shut him down, you know? So in any case, um, even my own parents during my first few years out of school were really questioning, you know, my choices. It wasn't that they were telling me not to do it, but I was not, I was struggling, I was miserable, I was trying to just figure, find my way. It was a very tough few years. And so they would say, well, why don't you, you know, go back to grad school? Why don't you get your master's degree? Why don't you get a teaching thing? And, you know, these kind of things. And at that point in my life, I wanted to make it as a musician. I wanted to make it as a performer. And and so I had to go find people who believed in my crazy dreams as much as I did, even though they weren't, they had not yet come to pass. And people who could help me to visualize the people who could support me in, you know, going for it. And that's, those people are, are hard to find, um, you know, getting, getting a, a mentor, you know, so to speak. Um, so, you know, and I think back, like, what, what ends up happening is that 
the more you get supportive people around you, the more that, you know, people believe, first nobody believes you, then more people believe you, and finally everybody believes you. So if you think about someone named, you know, Gordon Sumner, who became Sting, imagine that moment where he uh, said, I'm going to call myself Sting. Can you imagine all the people who laughed at him? You know, I think of, you know, or Lady Gaga. I'm going to name myself Lady Gaga, and I'm going to just be as so outrageous. Think of the, not only people not believing or not supporting her, but just outright tearing her down and hating on her. Um, and I think of my good friend Zorro, you know, who named himself Zorro. Think about that. And, you know, when I first got into the industry, he wasn't as big of a name. Uh, and, you know, I, um, it was this guy with a hat who's got the audacity to call himself Zorro. Like, really? But look, you know, he, he believed so strongly in what he was doing in his dream. He didn't, he surrounded himself with supportive people. He didn't pay any attention to uh, the haters that hated on him. And, you know, people snicker behind our backs. I'm sure when I, in my ascension in the industry, who's this guy with the with, wearing retro clothes with a pompadour haircut? Who does he think he is? You know, oh, he's going to teach us about history. What the hell does he know? You know, and, and I would say that to myself. Who the hell am I? But you, you, you find people to support you. And the reason I bring up Zorro is that Zorro, you know, was one of the most supportive mentors that I had in my own evolution as, as I've as I've grown and developed what I'm about and what I bring to the table, both as a musician, as, as an author, as an educator, both within the drumming industry and within the music industry as a whole. Um, so find people who believe in you, who will, um, and, and I think actually it's a lot easier today because there are so many places to find inspiration, such as podcasts. You know, you think about the Drummer's Resource podcast, and there's so many people telling positive stories like this. Um, so it's, you know, perhaps virtually you can find positive people, but certainly recognize the negative people. And if you truly believe in this, you need to go about things in an unusual way, you know, and, and finding success will not happen if you surround yourself with people who don't believe in you, who don't encourage you, who, uh, don't know how to encourage you, who won't really honestly and truly, uh, jump in with you, take that leap over the cliff right? So surround yourself with, with, uh, with, with, with positive and supportive people. Um, number five, let, so this ties all the other points together. And I think this again is something that maybe we don't think about that much, but here it is. Let this unusual way of life become your new normal, right? So, you know, this has to become, we must accept that all these things that I talked about, not accumulating, you know, leading a simple life, seeking out positive people, not being comfortable, uh, doing things that make us uncomfortable so that we're pursuing what we want to do even more, um, you know, forcing ourselves to play music every day in whatever capacity uh, and getting used to that. These things must become our way of life. And we must just accept that this is the way that it is. Um, another cool story. I worked a lot um, in the early 2000s with a piano, a, a vibraphone player named Eldad Tarmu. And it, it always amazed me because Eldad truly did live an incredibly simple life. He, we went on tour in Europe and I, all he ever ate was like nuts and orange juice and, you know, just the simplest 
foods. We'd go to some restaurant in, you know, Germany where there was like these amazing sandwiches or amazing, you know, dishes or desserts. And he'd be like, no, that's all right. I'm just going to go to the grocery store over here and, and get some, you know, some basic supplies. And that was his normal. And it, and it didn't bother him that he didn't have other things. Um, if we want to lose weight, we have to have a new normal, right? Where we change our lifestyle. If we go gluten-free, we have to, we have to at some point just say, I'm not, you know, bread is not going to be part of my life anymore, pasta or beer. I've been gluten-free for a couple of years, and sometimes I, I cheat and I take these gluten enzymes. But in general, I don't, I just don't drink beer anymore. I don't miss it. It's not an option. And it took me a while to get there. But eventually, I'm like, yep, this is it now. And it's good. It's all right. Why? Because it makes me feel better so that I can continue to follow my dream and my passion. So, you know, um, it's, it's, it, 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 these things must be the, the, become your normal, where you don't miss the usual things that usual people have, in a way. And you surround yourself and make your life and build your life around this unusual new normal that is now your normal. And that, you know, again, you, that the people that you bring into your life or the people you choose or your family, um, you know, that, that they are okay with this, with this normal too, or that they're willing to support you in, in that process. And then you've got a team, you've got, you know, team, team glass in my case, where I, I am supported in my everyday unusual life, unusual pursuits. Um, you know, Again, as I mentioned earlier, and this is something that I think about all the time, I remember those early years when I worked those horrible day jobs, uh, where I uh, struggled mightily, where, where no one knew who I was, nobody really cared who I was, except for me and those people that believed in my dream. And I know that those days may just be could be around the corner again at any time. You know, it's, it's when we work a freelance existence, there, there are no guarantees. There is no uh, salary that you have a sick day and, and you still get paid or you still have your benefits. Um, there, there are no guarantees. And I, so that I, I am driven as much today as I was from, you know, that first day. Uh, that, that, that those early years, uh, I still every month am worried about is this, you know, am I doing enough? And I guess maybe you could say I'm nuts and neurotic, and maybe I am. Um, but I think if you asked a lot of musicians uh, or a lot of artists in general, I don't think that that fear ever goes away. I don't want to go back to that time. And now, you know, I've been in the business for 28 years, and I've achieved certain things. And so, okay, I'm living a little bit more comfortably. I mean, my wife and I have a big flat screen TV, and we have cable, and you know, whatnot. But, you know, to be frank, most of our vacations are, uh, you know, we don't just go on holiday somewhere for two weeks. It's like if I get a gig somewhere um, and there, where the flight is paid and, you know, she can come with me uh, and we, you know, we can build a vacation around that where maybe a few nights our, our lodging is covered and, and these sorts of things. Those are typically the vacations that we have. And I do a lot of traveling or a fair amount of traveling to cool places. Every summer I go up to Provincetown, Mass., on the tip of Cape Cod, which is an amazing, lovely little sea, seaside town. And I work there for a week with Marilyn May, so my wife comes with me then. Last year, for example, she went with me to Budapest uh, when I had that gig with the Hot Sardines. Last month, she came with me to South America. I was working with Gunhild Carling. So, you know, and we don't have kids, so that simplifies things to a degree. But um, it it's, uh, that's how we do our vacations. So there's still, in essence, you know, it's a paid vacation, 
uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a net zero, uh, in a way. Uh, um, and so, you know, I still have that, um, you know, I live in New York, it's expensive. Everything's expensive. Every day you walk out the door, 40 bucks. Today I got a few groceries and bought a salad for lunch, 40 bucks. So it's, you know, it, it, it is my new normal is, is my, is my way of life because I want to continue doing what I love. I absolutely love what I do. I'm extremely happy with the life that I've created and built. Um, but it could all go away at any time. That's how I feel. Probably won't. I I can look back and say, Hey, I've made it for 27 years. Something I, you know, I, I've, I've made a living as a musician for 27 years. That's a significant accomplishment. So I can be happy about that, but at the same time, what if, you know, what if the economy collapses? Then, you know, people aren't going to take lessons anymore. People aren't going to hire musicians anymore. You know, it's like they're not going to buy books anymore. I mean, so I guess I don't want to be totally anxious and neurotic all the time, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you got to be prepared. Life has its ups and downs and you know, you got to be prepared. So with that note, uh, I'm going to wrap this one up and hopefully, you know, you took some good stuff away from this, uh, sort of five strategies for living an unusual life, for living the unusual life that we must live, that we need to live, that we, that we do live as, as artists, as musicians, as freelance, uh, freelancers. All right. So have a great one. Again, uh, my Daniel Glass 2018 Jazz Intensive is just three weeks away. We still have a couple openings left. If you're interested in joining us, um, you're welcome to. Go to the Intensives tab on my Facebook page, Daniel Glass Drummer, Author, Educator. Sorry, the Facebook, the Intensives Clinic slash Intensives tab on my uh, on my website, on my website, DanielGlass.com. And you can follow me, Daniel Glass, Drummer, Author, Educator on Facebook. And uh, please be in touch. Send me feedback. I want to know if you're getting some stuff out of these podcasts. It's always a pleasure to hear from people and it inspires me to um, to be better in how I do this. So have a good one and uh, we'll see you next time on the Daniel Glass Show here on Drummer's Resource. Drummer's Resource.